Hi, welcome to Venture Scaler. I'm Sasha, three time head of people at Venture Back Startups. And I'm Jake, three times ops and growth leader from the Venture Back Startup circuit as well. And we're here dropping all of our best tips on how to scale your startup. Hello and welcome to Venture Scaler. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. I'm Sasha Robinson and this is Jake and we're here today with Natalie from Stencil talking all things people operations and growing people, people experience and culture at high growth startups. So welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here and chat with you both. Yeah, we're excited to have you too, Natalie. So excited. Well, why don't we kick off by you telling our listeners a little bit more about you and your background and the TLDR version of what you do and why you're in people operations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started working full-time in college, always transparently liked work more than school uh, and worked full-time for a marketing and events startup. Uh, quickly realized that I hated marketing and events, but really loved the people side of things. It was a super small company, so I got to have a hand in building out our org structure, hiring our interns, any sort of quote unquote employee relations issues that came up. Um, and I sort of figured out pretty quickly, which I feel lucky about, that that's really what made me want to get out of bed in the morning. Um, and so when I graduated school, I started at Warby Parker um, when they were about 200 people. So really starting to catapult into that very high growth phase, started on their customer experience team for a bit and then moved into the people operations side. Uh, started more benefits, payroll compliance. And I think it was really crucial for me to get that nitty gritty foundation of HR to really be able to set a company up for success. And then from there transitioned uh, still at Warby to own more overall employee engagement, diversity, inclusion, feedback, communication, uh, and really got to work under a lot of really smart leaders on the people team that helped me kind of, I think, gain my voice in the people space. Uh, and so when I left Warby Parker, I was really not sure if I wanted to be a team of one or if company's first head of people. I think I was still kind of gaining that confidence in myself transparently, uh, but really wanted to get into health and fitness. And so Don Y7, which is, if you're not familiar, a yoga brand, um, but really more of a lifestyle brand in New York and LA at the time that I'd fallen in love with was the first place that ever got me into yoga. Uh, so started as second corporate hire, first HR person, definition of a startup, got my computer in a cubicle and the first thing my boss said was, you know, I think we just need to figure out who works here. Um, and so really built out everything from the ground up and was a phenomenal experience there for four years um, and everything from, you know, getting us compliant, building out the infrastructure for scale, hiring processes to the things that I'm most passionate about, which are really that employee experience, um, how we're, I think we spend so much time in the workplace, right? And so I think it's an amazing job to be able to really be an advocate for people and help them figure out how to not only grow in the professional sense, but to how to support them personally as well. Because I think that all of my personal learnings, I think have really been a reflection of dialogues or experiences I've had in the workplace as well. Um, so love the space and uh, left Y7 uh, just about six months ago uh, and really wanted to get in the tech into the tech world. So found Stencil, super different shift for me. We're a Series B SaaS company in the MarTech space. Um, I joke with my friends and family that six months ago, I never would have known I'd be so passionate about email marketing, um, <laughs> but love the team. And it really is a cool problem we're solving that I, I didn't really have insight into before, but our mission is to really up-level silo creation efforts and make content creation more agile, specifically with the email creation process currently. Uh, so yeah, it's been an exciting ride and was brought in as the first people leader 
in the US, we have a team in Buenos Aires as well. Um, and I, what I loved about their team was I think a lot of companies at this stage debate if they should just hire a recruiter or head of talent acquisition. Um, and I could tell, and really the one thing I was vetting in all of my interview processes was, is this truly a people first company? And I really felt that from our CEO, Noah, and was excited to come in and just build uh, programs and processes to help us scale a lot of the really strong elements of culture that were already being organically built. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. You've now sold me on email marketing. <laughs> right? It's email marketing is the truth. I tell everyone now. <laughs> we'll talk about what you need for your business after this. <laughs> I, love I, was, it. I was curious, you, you talked about how, like, I imagine you were interviewing maybe for like the different roles, looking for your next opportunity. And you were looking for a company that was people first. That's what you said. Yep. How did you, when you were talking to like the founders, CEOs, like the, the leadership team, how were you like working to tease that out? How did you understand if they were a people first company? Yeah, it's such a good question. And this was definitely, I, I took a couple of months off and I felt very lucky to be able to do that because it's the first time I've taken, I think this much time and like intentionality with the, with the interview process for myself. And one, it just gave me so much more candidate empathy, which I think is like a good reality check as a people person that I hadn't had in four years since my last job search. Um, but with all of that, I think, what stood out to me, I think there's some intangibles that weren't necessarily questions I asked, but things I very quickly picked up on in interview processes. And then there were also some things that I dug into. So I'll start with the first piece. Um, and I think the thing that we often forget as candidates is you're vetting a company just as much as they're vetting you. And how a, com a company treats you in the interview process is so indicative of how they treat their employees, right? Um, and so a couple of the things that really stood out about Stencil were, one, how much time I got with our CEO, Noah, in the interview process. It wasn't like, talk to this recruiter, talk to a few other people that are more junior on the team, final round interview with the CEO. He was my second conversation. We spoke for an hour. Even then I could tell like, this guy is so passionate about what he's doing. And it was really a conversation and he deeply wanted to know more and more. It wasn't that he had a standard list of interview questions to get through. I think he started there and then was deeply curious about projects I worked on, how they impacted our people, um, problems I've solved that would be comparable to what was happening at Stencil. And I think you can sort of, it's that intangible being able to tell the difference of when someone's just trying to check boxes or have an interview list of questions versus they're trying to find the right addition for their team and what I really call more of a culture add or a values alignment. Um, and even throughout the process, I spoke with him several additional times. It, there was a point where I had some additional questions that I felt like weren't answered in other interviews. He hopped on the phone with me. I sent an email. He answered in five minutes. He was on the phone with me in an hour. And I think that sort of presence and really like being really authentic with the question. And I asked some hard hitting questions in that call and his answers were super genuine, super authentic. Um, I loved really hearing why he built Stencil. It wasn't just, hey, I saw an opportunity in the space. It was, you know, for me, all of our clients are really huge name customers. And to think that little old Stencil is helping them make their jobs easier and give them back time in their day and make them more efficient is what's really rewarding for me. And I said, yeah, like, that's really cool. Um, so I think CEO just alignment, um, authenticity was really important for me. Um, and that's, I think, things you can sort of pick up on. Um, also really important that I was able to meet other members of the leadership team and have a dialogue with them. Because I think you're working for a CEO just as much as you're working with your with the full team, really, all employees, but especially the leadership team as a people leader. And so I want to know and I ask questions on 
how do you think about people management? Um, how do you think about developing your team? What are the largest team dynamic issues you're having or challenges that you're having with your team? Um, what do you want from a people leader? Like what's missing right now that a people leader could add value to? And people who have put thought behind those questions and are leading their team intentionally really stand out. And I very much gathered, got that from our VP of sales. who I spent the most time with in the process aside from our CEO. And I think that that stuck out to me as well. Um, and then finally, I think even I gave a presentation and even understanding like how engaged was the team that I presented to, do they have questions? I'm a very passionate person. I, I think I said that to Noah in my, one of my interviews. Um, I was like, I had a lot of passion. I need, I need that reciprocated. And, and it was, everyone was so excited about everything that I shared, wanting to know more, wanting to dive deeper. Um, the individual who's now my direct report who saves my life every day was, I was like, I want to be able to work with that person and be a team with them. And um, so that was probably more information that you wanted, but I think it is a combo of questions, but it's also that you get so nervous in the interview process that you don't take the time to reflect on what's being met on the other side of that. I think that's phenomenal. And I'm sending like little heart emojis <laughs> to Noah right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hear that a CEO is that involved in the hiring process, is that human-centric, focused on bringing on an incredible head of people, um, and has clearly focused so much on culture and people development, even without someone owning that function, yeah. um, or at least in the U.S. in your case. So I'm just, from the J-Beebs heart emoji. Yes, yes, same, same. <laughs> That's amazing. So then you made the choice to join Stencil. Um, what did your 30, 60, 90 day plan look like? Or what were some of the key projects that you dove into in your first couple of months? Yeah, I love that question because that was actually my interview presentation was make a 30, 60, 90 plan. So I had this whole roadmap for myself and then Noah and I joked at the end of my first month that I think I'm on day 90 in my 30 days. Um, <laughs> but my general approach that I think is that I would take with me no matter where I'm starting is I think that first month as any key leader, but especially as a head of people, you have to really immerse yourself in the culture. And I can know what I did at my last company. I can know what I think works. I have a huge network of people where I'm constantly learning from, but everything is going to be specific to your organization. And so the most important thing you can do while it's so easy to get bogged down with projects and initiatives is to really take the time to sit with every single employee. So for me, that meant scheduling a one-on-one, -on -one, obviously via Zoom right now, um, with every single employee in the US and then also key individuals in our Buenos Aires team as well, to just be really authentic, get to know them as an individual outside of the workplace, ask what's going well for them at Stencil, ask what they wish was working differently. Because I think if you just sort of jump head in with what you think is, or what the CEO thinks it, it needs to be worked on, then you're gonna miss a lot of that ground floor really feedback on where you should be focusing your time. Um, and I also think, it, to me, it feels very challenging to jump into meetings with people when I have, especially on Zoom right now, where you haven't had a chance to build that rapport. And so to me, having a people team really means nothing if your employees don't feel comfortable coming to you. And so my goal is always to start building that relationship from day one so that if an issue happens, they have a little bit more comfort into coming to me. And of course, those relationships are still being built. I've only been there a few months, but um, that I say would say is like the number one recommendation I would give to any people leader, which is easier said than done with how fast you're probably gonna be moving. Um, and then on the more tactical side, 
I really think of everything in terms of the employee life cycle. So that's sort of like what lives in my brain at all times. And then to me, what sits at the base of that is really your mission, vision, and your values. Um, and then also making sure that within every part of that life cycle, diversity, equity, and inclusion are reflected within it so that it's not sort of a standalone initiative, but really almost like auditing all of the things that we have in place. Um, and obviously there were gaps, right? We haven't had a people leader there, um, looking at what's working, looking at what's not working. And so my first week too, I was just like soaking everything in, taking as many notes as possible on opportunity areas I saw. I think also being a really active participant in your own onboarding and not just experiencing it, but thinking about, I was constantly, my brain was going crazy with ways we could make it even better, ways to optimize um, from like small tactical things to overall more, how do we get people more excited about our mission and vision on day one? Like they're not getting that for another week in, in the onboarding process, um, things like that. So I think I was trying to really soak everything in and identify small areas for improvement. Um, but then obviously where it's a fast growing company, it's the end of the year and annual planning was happening. And so I um, had to set my full company-wide OKRs. It was the first time we set them like on my second week um, and then sort of like essentially plan your whole year or what you think your year should be. Um, and so to do that, I really, I had a lot of conversations with the team and, and tried to gain an overall vision. And I think the projects that I hit on as being most key were um, one, I heard a lot in my interview and process about wanting to empower managers more and create a more robust manager training. We have a lot of first time managers that have been promoted within. Um, two, we weren't running performance reviews at all or any sort of continuous feedback framework in the US. And, and so that was something I wanted to get off the ground. And then uh, three, we had started more intentional work in the diversity inclusion space. Um, huge shout out to my direct report, Julian, who really got that off the ground when they started April, so just about a year ago exactly. Um, but I wanted to be more strategic about like, how are we talking about that? What does it mean? What does it mean to us at Stencil in a way that's not just lip service and actually setting priorities around it? Um, and so figuring those things out, I knew that those were sort of some of the projects I wanted to be embedded in our OKRs. Um, in addition, probably the largest outside of those things was creating a more unified employee experience between our Buenos Aires and our US team. Um, and that was something that there hadn't been a lot of intentionality around before. I think we operated a bit more separately and it's really important to us at Stencil that it's not two offices or two ways of doing things, but it's a really unified experience. Um, so collaborated a lot with, with leaders to understand what they felt like was important and then um, set our OKRs really around those pillars around creating a unified employee experience um, really focusing on diversity and inclusion in a more impactful way. Um, and then also thinking about how we're creating learning and development opportunities with feedback and DEI being a part of that. Um, that's a lot, right? So I'll talk more tactically about some of the first things that I tackled. Um, funnily enough, I know and I joke that I probably wouldn't touch the hiring process much at first. And actually that was like one of the first projects I worked on was um, realizing that it was very uh, functionally owned. So we had leaders who knew what they were doing, but there wasn't that really consistent uh, stencil way of hiring. And we do have a strong hiring philosophy, but I think that can get mixed when there's not really an owner overseeing the full process. Uh, so I worked to create a hiring playbook that also really embedded inclusive hiring practices um, and focused a lot on how we're creating a positive candidate experience. Um, and I think we'd focused a lot in the past on having a pretty rigorous candidate experience and which I appreciated myself that 
they had the opportunity to really not only get to know me deeply, but I got to know them throughout the process as well. Um, so for me, it wasn't taking away any of that rigor, but it was really thinking about how our process is super empathetic, um, a super positive candidate experience, um, and really consistent across uh, across leaders and, and hiring managers. So that was something I worked on my first month. And then also we did a huge refresh of our values. Because um, again, I think that it was almost to me like I can't even create these other or work on these other projects until we have this foundation so strong and, and so felt at every level of the company. And so the mission and vision had been, had already felt like they were very clearly defined, but we actually did a refresh of our values, Noah and I, where we looked, we had nine priors. We really took a deep dive and looked at um, everything that, that was on the list right now and really honed in on what is actually unique to Stencil. What do we want people to feel in our hiring process? How are we going to ensure that we're scaling our culture effectively? Um, and so we did a whole refresh of our values for the January 1 date. So um, a lot was happening in the first month, I think, uh, also because it was the beginning of the year. And so- was the first month? Yeah. Yeah, that was all, yeah. Oh yeah, we didn't do all the things in the OKRs, but it was setting up the OKRs, uh, creating a hiring playbook, and then launching refresh values. Because we were sort of, I think, the beginning of the year is such an impactful time that I didn't want to miss that window of like, this is what's important to us as a people, from a people's perspective to our employees. I felt like it was sort of a missed opportunity to not. So first month was a little crazy um, and a lot of like shuffling around priorities for sure. I am very very good about trying to be honest with myself. And if I am biting off more than I can chew, saying, hey, we need to pause and like think of something to take off the plate or ship this up. But it was a very busy month. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So a lot of different objectives. I'm curious, when you came in, you're talking to the, you know, the CEO, you're the first people person in the US. What was uh, the number one problem that like, or maybe he didn't have one, maybe he was like expecting you to go find it, but what was the, like the problem that he was focused in on that he wanted you to go and try to solve first? Yeah, I would say it was more of a go find it. I think he was, he very much too, like wants it to be authentic for the company. And so I think he would really value hearing what employees have to say in that regard. I would say our biggest um, problem area that he was very aware of is making sure that we're really aligned across that cross-functional work. And we grew a lot since COVID. We doubled in size on our US team since COVID. So just in the last year, um, we hired more in Buenos Aires. We're working with across two countries. Um, while everyone does speak English to some degree, it's not the native language for everyone. And beyond that, I think it's a, a challenge for every company operating remotely right now. Like, when are you over communicating? When are you not communicating enough? How are you setting meetings? How are you avoiding Zoom fatigue? How are you collaborating? And so really that cross-functional alignment has been a lot of the work that it's not, and that for me isn't just the job of the people team. Like we're sort of a champion of that and maybe that's where the priorities get held, but it really takes the full leadership buy-in. I love this. I feel like I've just learned like a year's worth of <laughs> people. Well, that's great. I feel like I was all over the place with what the, what the initial priorities were. So that's great. <laughs> No, that's phenomenal. And to recap, so you had four of your OKRs for this year and I yep. wrote them down. So focusing around manager training and leveling up your um, your newer managers, um, thinking through your performance and feedback me methodology and what form that takes, um, making DNI front and center and a priority in the business, and then how to provide the same and a cohesive employee experience across all employee groups, which currently straddle two countries, right? 
Okay. Yeah. So I'd, I'd um, love I to probably in. tweak a little bit. So I, I was probably a bit confusing. Some of those are more like quarterly OKRs that we set. And then we had our people company-wide annual objectives where a few of those were reflected in that bucket. So I can be more clear about which were which, if that's helpful too. I don't necessarily know if, if that's needed. I think these okay. are all important. And I, I, these are things that have come up for me at Franual and have come up to a number, come up in other conversations with people leaders. And I'm so curious how, like with different cultures and different values and different yeah. business models, like how these things are done and why they're done in certain ways. So maybe we can just go through them one by yeah. one and kind of talk through how you're thinking about them and the types of programs or strategies you're putting in place at Stencil. Does that yeah. sound good? Sounds great. Okay. Perfect. Let's start with DNI. So, how are you thinking about DNI or DEI at Stencil, and what are you doing to make sure that's a um, a pivotal piece of the culture? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, for me, when I think about DEI, it, it's really understanding that it's one thing to hire for diversity and to think about representation, but it's quite another to actually make sure that you're creating an inclusive environment where people want to stay. Uh, and so even in the interview process or with a lot of companies, I'll get asked, you know, what are you, how do you, what are your strategies for finding underrepresented talent and increasing diversity? And my first response is, I almost don't even want to have that conversation until I know that we're doing the work to make sure that we have equitable programming and that we're having really hard conversations and dialogues about what being an equitable, inclusive employer means, because we can increase diversity and representation within the org, but then we're not going to have the retention that we want. We're not, we're not going to, it's going to be lip service basically. Um, and so when I think of that, I'll sort of start with how do you build that inclusive environment, right? That's what everyone wants. And so I think a big piece of that for me and in my own personal journey with it has been education and really more deeply understanding and my own identity and recognizing and owning my priests of privilege. Um, I worked with an amazing consultant a few years ago, who's now a dear friend at my last company. And I think it, took me so long because I'm a very type A box checky type person. I think a lot of times in, in people ops, we are and diversity inclusion space is anything but that you have to understand that it's much more of a journey and that you're not going to be able to sort of set a five year plan or a one year plan and hit these certain milestones. You have to be comfortable with it being a lot more fluid. Um, and I'm very, very aware of the fact that I say all of this as a cisgendered white woman. And so I think a big piece of that as well as being able to own your own identity to understand really deeply understand your employees have conversations around that um, and then be able to talk about that at the level of the org i think sort of skirting around those things or skirting around the problems that you have with an organization um, doesn't really get you anywhere and so on the education piece we're working with a really awesome consultant um, who's not as like traditional, here's an unconscious bias training, but really getting into more hard and hitting dialogues around um, anti-racism, the foundations of DEI, what does power and privilege look like in the workplace? And so we started launching that series uh, in Q1 and then we'll continue it throughout this year. And I think having dialogues like that in the workplace is fundamental to being able to, to really set goals around DEI because you have to get comfortable with even being able to speak to that and really owning the issues that you have. So or the problems that you could have rather is probably a better way to say it. Um, so I think I've been really grateful to partner with Nathan. And again, uh, Julian, my direct report had already sort of vetted Nathan. He works also with a mindfulness approach, which I really appreciated, which is similar to another consultant that I've worked with in the past, um, but really using mindfulness as a tool to engage with this work in these dialogues, um, which I think is a different perspective than perhaps some of the other training resources that are out there. Um, on the hiring side, I think, 
the intent has always been there with our, especially with our leadership team of like, we want to increase representation with the org. Like, how do we do it? What do we do? And for me, it was, how are we finding ways to hold ourselves accountable? Because I think the intent is there, but without actual processes and program and programs in place and like goals, then we're going to see, keep sort of getting to that place where, well, we tried, but ultimately like 10 white males came through the process and they're the most experienced. And so we're going to go with that hire. Right. Um, so for me, the first thing we did was really review all of our hiring training materials or, or that we created and make sure there was a very built out inclusive hiring section that talked about inclusivity within language, um, not just thinking about racial and ethnic diversity, but gender identity, how we're creating space for that in the hiring process. What are the questions we're sending candidates prior? Are we asking candidates their pronouns when we come onto the screen to the meeting, things like that. Um, to really be able to show and not just tell that we're a company that supports diversity and inclusion. Um, beyond that, we did set two clear OKRs for ourselves around diversity and inclusion. And so the first is on the hiring side, and it's to ensure that all of our interview cohorts include at least 50% of candidates from underrepresented backgrounds. And then we defined what underrepresented looks like in our organization right now, um, with the understanding and the hope that that definition will change over time, right? Um, and then on the more inclusion side, we run an engagement survey, which probably a lot of companies do. If you're super small and don't have the money to do that, I've been there too. Like even any sort of like survey monkey survey is great to, um, because I think unfortunately like surveys are really the only way to have a data point around employee sentiment. Um, and so one of our questions is Stencil. Uh, appreciates and values the input and opinions of individuals from other from different backgrounds. And so we held ourselves to have a score of 90 and probably will push even higher on that on our engagement score. Um, and so I think being able to have one goals that we can like all rally around, I think even if and I told this to myself when I was setting my OKRs on week one, and this was also my first care with first time with an OKR format, I might get them wrong, I might realize I should have set them differently, but at least we will have something in place so that it's always at the center of our minds. It's just as important as our revenue goes. It's just as important as our product OKRs. Like that I think is the most important thing is that it can't be something that falls by the wayside. It has to be at the forefront. Um, so I think those are a lot of the things that we're doing right now. I won't sit here and act like I'm a, an expert, but I think I am um, proud of the work that we're doing, excited about it. I think the last thing I'll say is just making sure that even that sentiment of that work doesn't live just in those activities, right? So it's how are we thinking about what learning and development courses we're offering and making, and we actually a few all hands ago, we dedicated the time, not just to company business updates, but we actually did a training on gender and gender identity. And so many folks reached out to me saying that never would have been a company all hands at my last company. And so I think just really thinking about like how to embed it into more of the time that you already have together, especially on Zoom where we're already super fatigued um, is what I've found be the most impactful. That's phenomenal. Thank you so much for sharing. Those are very thoughtful insights. Um, in your work within the DEI space, um, how much work did you have to do to get buy-in from the existing leadership team and, and CEO, or was that was the, the buy-in there when you joined? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was lucky that the buy-in was there when I joined. Um, it was really, I could tell diversity and inclusion was really important to them in the hiring process. And I think the reason they had paused on a lot of candidates without more experience in that realm. So I really appreciated that. Uh, even I think if you have buy-in though, 
it doesn't always mean that everyone's going to be in the same space on that journey. So it's, I think everyone, it, it, or I won't say everyone, I think majority of folks, especially in like a progressive people space, yes, they want, they want to, they want diversity inclusion to be at the center, right? But when you really unpack all the different ways in which that manifests, which is a lot, right? It means like, I mean, it means speaking up when something happens in the world around you. It doesn't just mean like hosting a training and then forgetting about it. It means being, looking at every hire you're making and being really intentional about, even if they're not coming from an underrepresented background, are we asking them questions to make sure they have an um, equity mindset? Um, when we're thinking about, yeah, what we want to prioritize, like what's going to, what's going to get shifted within the org. So it's really, really tough. And so I think even if you have buy-in, it doesn't mean that sometimes it's not challenging. And I think being able to hold a lot of openness in that space and, and also I'm still learning, right? And so even holding space for that too is, is really important. And I think it's just really different than anything, any other type of work. It's just, it's much because it's such a human, it's such a human topic as a lot of the people topics are. But um, so I think finding ways to explain where I'm at or explain my point of view and then making sure that it that it resonates with people who are coming from a different perspective or have a different background or work in terms of GEI or just like a different way of looking at the business. You know, you're always going to be a part of those conversations. Nice. I love that. So you mentioned that the other, the other OKR that you're putting together or there was a gap around uh, performance reviews and like yeah. just a performance uh, process in general. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious a little bit about uh, since this was, you had the opportunity to build something from the ground up, like what is your performance philosophy and what did that end up looking like once you brought that into Stencil? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love this question and I love this topic because I think it's it's been cool to see the evolution of this topic, especially in the people space in the last four or five years. Uh, but really, I'm a big fan of the idea that in a perfect world, we wouldn't even need reviews and we wouldn't even call them that. We're all just giving and receiving feedback so regularly, right? And we, and we don't even need the time, but obviously that's a little easier said than done. And so I really think about like, how are we using reviews as just a platform, just a moment to create those behaviors and set aside a time in our busy, busy, fast paced jobs to talk about not just what we're doing, but how we're doing. And so that's really the way that I try to position it as employee to employees. Um, I think the more frequent, the better, because it really, to me, should be a more elevated one-on-one -on -one time with your manager than this idea of like a scary annual or biannual review where you're sitting in a room and trying to think about everything you've done over the last six months or a year. Um, and it's super daunting and anxiety provoking. Like those are the things that I, tr that I try to just like be the opposite of, I guess. I guess. Um, but in terms of what that looks like, I we always promote a quarterly cadence and every single company I've been at, people will think that's too much at first. And then three quarters in or so, it does take a bit of a time to build those habits. People are like, this is amazing. I'm so glad I have this time set aside to talk about XXX. Um, but I think we're used to that more like biannual or annual time where we're, it's really like you have to be thinking of everything you've done. You have to be like highlighting your key projects. Right. And we're, we tend to not want to even focus more on constructive feedback because it's usually tied to an annual compensation review. Um, and so I think I vote for a quarterly structure. Um, if you can't do that, like we usually try to do that. Even I, I've actually done every other month at my last company. And then we moved to quarterly because I felt like people weren't waiting with my last company. I felt like people weren't talking at all. And so I wanted to start with even more frequent to build up that, um, sort of that behavior. And then we moved to quarterly once I felt like, okay, people aren't just waiting for the review to have any sort of difficult conversation. Right. 
Um, and then in terms of what the actual structure looks like, um, I'm a big fan of trying to get it to be more of a 360. So manager, peer, direct report, which again, that can sound super timely and I don't think it has to be. Um, and so I try to keep it very broad. I'm a big believer in keeping the same structure for every team, whether you're an engineer or, a, a, or an accountant executive or a people operations individual. Um, and so I think having that, that format be more broad and used across the company will be more impactful. Um, I'm also, a, I hate ratings. And so I really try to get those out of whatever culture I'm a part of. Um, I think they just read a more, one, they're subjective, right? So like one manager may rate differently. Also, I think if you're getting, if it's tied to a rating, you're not really listening to any of the feedback. You're just right. thinking about like, oh, I was a four or like, oh, I was like a meets expectation when maybe that was really great in your manager's head and you, you sort of throw everything else away. So um, those are sort of like the overall philosophy things. I think what I try to make people think about is really just what are some wins from this quarter? What are some things I could have improved upon or learnings? Um, and then I do have a few questions that we use that are more trying to understand someone, what we can do better as an organization, because I think if you're talking about performance, you also have to talk about what blockers you're having as an employee yeah. that could perhaps impede your performance. And so we ask um, how well-defined is the company mission, vision, and values, um, and also uh, what is standing in the way of you doing your best work. And so there's sort of different options folks can choose from, or they can give a free answer um, as well. And then we do a peer reviewer as well. We'll, we'll choose two people, um, not anonymous. I think that's always the best way to go is to make it, you really wanna encourage that open dialogue and feedback culture um, to ask them again, just those open questions. What are some things Natalie did well this quarter? What are some things Natalie can improve upon? Um, and I think with all of that, trying to get as many ex challenge people to be really specific about that quarter, think about like, if you just nailed a project or closed a deal, jot it down right now in your in whatever note-taking format you use right. that way when you're completing your review it's not like oh my god i have to set aside an hour to think about my review like you just have these notes and it's just a more elevated conversation around what that quarter looks like yeah i like that a lot um yeah and even like the like the quarterly cadence ends up becoming like that forcing mechanism so like you said you're not waiting until like mid-year year end and having to scramble and think like what did I do or what did my direct report do like 11 months ago? Yeah. A lot. Yeah. It's and the other piece, which I think this ties in nicely is around the, uh, the hire ma hiring manager training or sorry, the, uh, the manager training. Yeah. So you said you had a lot of first time managers. There wasn't a performance, uh, you know, process in place. I'm sure that's like one of like, you know, many things that you wanted to focus on. So what did that, what did that training start to look like? What was like the, the first version? Uh, what did you start to focus on initially with, uh, with like the more junior managers? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think part of it sort of sat outside of our full playbook that we're working on. And it was the hiring training and giving people a really clear understanding of what we're looking for when we're hiring, how we're hiring for competencies, inclusive questions, things like that. And then I did a performance review training for managers and really made it half of just a general feedback training um, mm -hmm. and then half of what our actual process was. And so that I really focused on um, things like radical candor, using the SMART model, um, things, things that you can find a lot of resources for online too. So if you're a people ops that's like scrambling and has a limited budget in terms of being able to bring like a Life Labs in who's an amazing outside trainer, I think there's a lot of resources you can find to, to be able to kind of train yourself and then train your team, which is a lot of how I've learned in my career. Uh, so working through a lot of that. And I think 
the biggest thing of like starting for people to understand like what is our management philosophy at Stencil? Because I don't think we've ever said before, like we're a people first company, like we lead with empathy, we are a servant leadership style. And those are the ideals that I think had come in from strong leaders on our on our leadership team. But as we promote more people from within, um, who are also still maintaining like their player coach in a lot of situations, it's how are we making sure that that philosophy is really sound at the top? Um, and so those are some of the things that we started doing. We're working on a more robust playbook that we're rolling out uh, this month, it's April 1, uh, because we have a lot of promotions happening this month, which is really exciting. And so that will go through a lot of topics. Um, one, more in that philosophy, I'm a big fan of the tenets of conscious leadership, if anyone's familiar with those. Um, and so it's really this idea that uh, what I've kind of mentioned throughout my is a big part of my style of the workplace is this amazing opportunity for learning and growing. And so how are we actually seeing every opportunity in the workplace as an opportunity for transformation and for growth? Um, and there's a lot about, it's also a lot about intentionality, which is probably a word you've heard me use a lot too. And it's about like really understanding like that self-awareness and how you're coming into a space, especially as a leader and how you're managing your team in a way um, that's really thoughtful and really like being mindful of what's happening around you. Um, and so that's some things that I've done like a couple of workshops for before at different companies. And I'm going to bring into Stencil as well as like a one module within our leadership training. Um, and then beyond that, I think there's all of a sudden your workload just like tripled as a manager. And I think people sort of forget that you it's your strong employee or individual contributor and now you can just manage people and so it's how are we making it as easy as possible for them to think about what's an effective one-on-one -on -one? like how do you ask we talk a lot about talking about mental health with our employees we did a, a training on that in may as well so we've been sort of like peppering in mini manager trainings and then we're coming together with like this one beautiful uh dream playbook is my goal uh and dream dream session for everyone and so embedding those things of I think mental health is not just when someone needs to take a leave, it's how are we, especially with everything happening in the world, actually asking and wanting to, and holding space for how someone's doing and how that impacts their performance. Mm -hmm. um, beyond that, things like time management, um, like really tactical things that someone needs to do. Cause I think when you, yeah, it's so much when you're getting promoted, the more you can sort of have a guide of thinking about everything that's going to come your way and every new challenge, whether it's approving someone's PTO or how to, lead an effective review, like the more that you can support your managers in that journey is gonna be really helpful. Um, and then something I think about too is just building everything for scale, right? And so even though right now I could probably meet with every manager, well, that, it's pretty busy, but I can meet with a lot of our managers for a bunch of hours. It's how are we creating self-service resources as well um, so that we can scale this as we continue hiring. Yeah. What, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was wondering what tools you use for your manager training and some of your other performance and engagement. Yeah, great question. So I was super lucky that my amazing direct report rolled out Lattice before I started. Um, and I had always like always had a crush on Lattice and wanted to use it, uh, but, never, but it never made sense for my company. Um, I used Bamboo at my last company. If I will say if you're a brick and mortar or a more distributed, by distributed workforce, I mean like a part-time hourly exempt, non-exempt. I think something like a lattice isn't as necessary because you're gonna, working with a brick and mortar or hourly distributed workforce is just a lot different. And so we use Bamboo and we actually use a lot of their performance management feedback tools, which are really quite good, especially if you're not, you maybe only have the uh, bandwidth and resources to bring on one tool. I think Bamboo is an awesome HRIS system. So you can host your data in it. You can do great reporting. You can log time off. It can be your personal info database and they have a really nice performance management tool. And it's also 
really customizable. So you can build out different tabs for keeping notes on employees, any signing documents, things like that. Um, and then yes, finally got to hang out with Lattice in, in this job. Um, and it's great. We use it for one-on-ones. We use it for performance reviews. It's really customizable as well. We use it for feedback and recognition. It's, we do, we really focus on peer recognition at Stencil as well and have a wins channel on Slack that feeds to Lattice. Um, and we actually just launched a quarterly value recognition program around that as well. Um, and then I would say I have other tools that I use more individually. We're figuring out if we want to bring in another tool for more team collaboration and mostly due to being a re remote right now and, and going to be some sort of hybrid after COVID. Um, but those are the main ones that I found that are super easy to use and really impactful. What's that values thing you mentioned? Uh, values yeah. recognition? Um, so we did our values relaunch, refresh, as I mentioned in January. Um, but to me, it was how do we find ways to really infuse these into everything we did? Because yeah. um, that that was something that was just a little bit missing. And so one of the things that we've done is have a, we nailed on four. So it landed on four values. So it was perfect. Um, they're learning agile, team players, um, above and beyond, and then gara, which is a Spanish word with no per perfect English transition, but essentially really means passion, hunger, um, that grit that is very much a part of the central culture. And so we decided every quarter to focus on a different value and really hone in on that value in a deeper way. So this quarter was learning agile um, and not just being open to learning new things, but really going out of your way to find new ways to learn and grow, um, challenging ourselves to always look at things differently as a company. And so we had uh, some different events themed around that, but then also we said that we're gonna really count um, who receives the most recognition for that value. All in Lattice, you can tag a value that corresponds when you're giving someone okay. feedback. And so uh, we counted up who we actually just announced our first winners yesterday, which was really fun. Um, and it's just so great, like seeing our two winners had five shout outs each, uh, three for that value and just hearing the stories and really like the thoughtfulness that people put into their shout outs was awesome. And then we gave a $150 gift card to each winner. So a nice prize to go along with it too. Very cool. Yeah. I love that. Well, I want to switch gears slightly mm -hmm. and understand your, um, your philosophical, wow, I cannot mm -hmm. talk, understand your philosophy around people ops. And then I am speaking directly to folks that are early in their career or like doing this, um, a similar role as the head of people or, or growing a company um, and some of the advice that you give them in various capacities. So I have a couple questions around that um, to really help people that have never done this before, because full disclosure, that's why Jake and I initially started this show. Like, how do we help people who are doing this for the first time? And how do we empower companies to have a people-first culture, people-driven culture? Um, and we think like talking to amazing people like you and sharing your knowledge is one of the best ways to to get more people first and culture first companies. So appreciate you sharing all of this so far. Um, so first, what do you think is, or what do you think are some of the, the key skills or traits of a successful head of people? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think empathy, honestly, I think that is for better. I think sometimes it like can be quite draining if you if you if you resonate more as an empath and I've actually had to find ways to sort of balance that I think more for my own self-care um, but I think for me being people first means really thinking about how every decision you're making as a business is going to impact your people and that's everything from obviously like the more ones people would think of like headcamp planning transitions um, 
but it's not limited that, to that, right? And so even like defining what your focuses are as a business or what your product roadmap, how are you communicating that? How are you getting people bought in? How are you aligning different or different departments where they maybe have slightly different goals, like a sales or CS team versus a product team? Um, and so I think being able to lead with empathy and try to see a lot of different perspectives and hold those perspectives is probably like what I do on a day-to-day basis. It's like a little bit of therapy maybe too. Um, but I think that being able to sort of zoom out and also be able to like actually put yourself in the shoes of others is, is really important. Um, I think on the other side of that, you have to be able to communicate all of that to a leadership team, right? Who's going to think very differently than you if, if that's how you're thinking. And so I think um, being able to tap more into that um, seeing the big picture and more strategic mindset. And with all of that, not getting so lost in like, cause it can be draining. It's a super draining job. If you're getting very attached to employees, like, especially like I was even earlier in my career and it can very easily be a job that sort of breaks you down. If you're getting too sucked into employee conversation, employee situations or um, challenges that your team is facing, like you can really take that home with you. And so I think also being able to sort of um, step away from that at times and be able to still see what's best for the business. And I think that is probably the biggest thing that makes a strong head of people is that you can get on the ground floor and you can be there for your employees and you can empathize and understand and deeply work to truly understand, but then you can zoom out and be able to talk to your, talk to the rest of the leadership team or your CEO and make the decision that's best for the business. Um, and at times that might be a complex with like some, some relationships you're building or some challenges you're encountering. Um, I think if you're going to be the head of people at a startup as well, you have to be comfortable with wearing a lot of hats and you have to really enjoy it um, and sort of have like a no task is too small attitude because people teams are typically much small. They're not going to be a sales team size or a marketing team size, right? You're usually, if you're starting at a startup, it's going to be you probably for a bit, maybe one direct report, maybe a talent acquisition person, and, and you'll grow that team over time, but you're going to have to get used to doing a lot on your own and be comfortable switching gears. Um, and so I think I'm constantly jumping from being in a phone screen interview to like going and diving deep on like reporter or data for board decks. And then also thinking about like engagement and then maybe getting like one issue thrown my way of, of sort of a situation that a manager wants help navigating. And so you have to be really comfortable with shifting priorities and be actually like really energized by that um, and find ways to stay organized, which sounds like silly and probably something that's necessary for every job. But I think that's really important. Um, and with that organization also comes prioritization. And I think I've gotten fairly good at recognizing how much bandwidth I can, what I can take on at a certain point. And so being able to have that conversation with your CEO of, Hey, like we can do all these because people space touches everyone. Right. And so everyone's always going to have an ask or like, wait, we don't have this yet. Let's, let's get it. Let's get it going. Let's go about this training. Like we don't have career pathing yet. Like, um, and so you have to also like be comfortable saying no a bit and really being able to think about well, the way I think about prioritization is what's imperative that I do now that I couldn't even get to that next project or I couldn't do it well without sort of having this first one figured out, if that makes sense. Um, so I probably jumped from like strategy <laughs> skills to competencies, but hopefully that's helpful. No, that's super helpful. On the flip side of that, is there anything that you've seen in your career that makes a head of people or a people person unsuccessful um, in their position? Oh, that's a good question. Let me think about that. I've been lucky to work with a lot of really great people leaders. Um, I would say with any exact, I think one of my biggest pieces of feedback, and I think this just goes like double for the head of people is you have to lead by example. And especially in a people role, like understand that people, eyes are always on you and everything, little thing you do, 
people will perceive. And so whether that's showing up at a team happy hour, even if maybe you're tired that day, or whether it's making sure you follow whatever protocols we set for email guidelines or turnaround times or things like that, I think um, as you move up in your career, it can be more tempting to sort of make exceptions for those behaviors. But I think especially in a people role, you have to lead by example and make sure that you're showing up as just part of the team first and foremost. That's great feedback. Um, I think it's so easy to forget that everything you do is perceived as a leader, as an employee, and also as like the HR person, like for better or for worse. And things that you say can seem as like come off as a directive rather than just like, here's feedback as for me as a person. And that's something I've had to learn over my career. And like, there's three different ways people perceive you and you have to be super mindful of that to be successful. So I think that's great feedback. All right, I think we have time for one more, one more question. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, I always like ending on like the advice question. So what's a, what's a piece of advice that you would give to someone, either whether it's like a, a founder trying to be people first or like a first people ops person at a growing startup to build a team and to scale a culture? What's that, what's that piece of advice that you'd give? Yeah. Um, I think the first piece would be trust yourself because I think especially in the people world, there's, you can read every book, right? On what Google did and you can, there's so many web, there's so much information out there and resource, which is amazing. But ultimately, especially I think if you're a founder, like people are going to, and I, I was reminded of this the last time I was, when I was just job searching of like, people are going to join that company for you and they're going to join that company for your values. And so if you truly want to be people first, you have to be authentic. And it's not necessarily like looking at what Google does to be people first or watching every, reading everything of like what, how X and X does this program or philosophy. It's, they're going to be joining for you, especially as a really small startup. And so I think it's being authentic and understanding like, how would you want to be treated as an employee? How would you want to feel? And trying not to get so lost in what everyone else is doing um, and being able to stand a little bit more in your own voice. I think imposter syndrome is something I hear like every people leader have to overcome definitely myself. And I think even, especially in my first head of people role, it was like, well, I need to just ask a million people what they're doing to make sure that I get the right answer. And at the end of the day, like, you know, your employees best and no one else knows your employees. And so if you're doing the job of really connecting with them, taking in feedback, I think that's the most probably that's actually the biggest advice is take in feedback and go out of your way to get feedback. It doesn't just mean waiting for a survey. It doesn't just mean waiting for people to like take you up on coffee. If you're a CEO, people are going to be scared to ask you for coffee, like going out of your way to get that real-time feedback and then act on it, I think is better than any sort of resource you can find of what another company is doing. Love that so much. I'm going to, I'm throwing out heart emojis now. <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for spending time with us. You have an incredible story and so much wisdom. So I um, <laughs> appreciate you so much. Thank you, Natalie. Uh, thank you both. No, this was so fun. I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Hey, thanks for listening to Venture Scaler. If you're listening on a podcast platform, be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. We also have a version on YouTube if you want to watch the show instead. And if you found the episode helpful, please share it with a friend, a family member, or anyone else that you think could benefit. And you're also welcome to connect with us on LinkedIn. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.